Let's solve a riddle today. A mystery held closely in the heart of God, a mystery that actually began in the garden 6,000 years ago. And that mystery opened the door for a timeline that ultimately will reveal the whole comprehensive mystery of God that will end in his return. Now, I'm going to give you the the riddle first. Um, I'm not going to tell you the address, but I will tell you it's in the book of Revelation. I'll give you the address in just a minute. Here's the riddle. The beast that was and is not and yet is. As for the beast that was and is not, it's an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. A riddle? Absolutely, it's a riddle. And the, the, the Apostle John says, this is the mind that has the wisdom to learn and settle this riddle. Hi, everyone. I'm Bill Nordstrom, and welcome to the program today. In the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, in the book of Revelation, at the end of this age, the mystery of God will be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. You see, it all began in the garden when God told Satan he'd put hostility between his offspring and the offspring of the woman, that the woman's offspring, and that would be Jesus, would bruise Satan's head, a wound ultimately that would prove fatal. But Satan would only bruise Jesus' heel, a a temporary setback on the cross that would lead to resurrection life for all who would believe. Two great events, two great events to be fulfilled in two great mysteries. And here are the two mysteries, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of salvation, and the mystery of iniquity, sin, and unrighteousness. So although the church has well considered the work of Christ on the cross in the mystery of the gospel, I'm just not so sure the second mystery, the fullness of Satan in the flesh, a a final incarnation, I'm not so sure that's quite as well considered. Let me explain that a little bit. The incarnation of Jesus, in whom dwells all the fullness of deity in bodily form, a, a, a like miraculous transition, is also required of a future Antichrist, albeit with a much different result. He becomes the full measure of his father, the devil. Thus begins our journey to solve a revelation riddle. This revelation of this coming man of sin is much more, much more than just identifying him for for who he is. Any of us who follow end-time prophecy have listened to numerous speculations from sincere believers on who the Antichrist will turn out to be. But let me assure you of this, you'll recognize him when he gets here. However, Scripture is abundantly clear about the number of critical must-events that will lead to his ultimate disclosure, events that must precede the return of Christ. Now, you know, we'd be hard-pressed, even with only a, a cursory knowledge of Scripture, to miss these clear prophecies. The rage of the nations, a a holy covenant validated, leading to an unprecedented peace, an animal sacrifice underway, and and a temple built on Temple Mount. How how could we miss that? And, And a great abomination leading to Jacob's trouble. Not to mention this man, this Antichrist, receives a deadly wound only to be raised from the dead before an astonished world. This same beast, as he's called, 
who now embodies the very nature and the spirit of Satan, is now, as Paul tells us, endowed with all power, signs, and lying wonders. This guy will have the undivided attention of the world. We can't miss him. A sizable portion will will celebrate this emergency of, of this man and his stunning ability to create coalitions and to bring unprecedented peace among the ancient enemies in the Middle East. Certainly, the, the Holy Spirit intends to bring to our attention the revelation of this man of sin, and that it's a, a transitional point when Satan ignites life into the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. Yes, our scriptural riddle. If we get some understanding on this, we'll gain some extraordinary clarity on the final three and a half years of this age. So let's go to Revelation chapter 13. I'm going to start with verse 1. And this is our introduction to this man who will become the man of sin. Listen to this carefully. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, ten diadems on those horns and blasphemous names on his heads. One of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. You see, this is going to be a supernatural event that won't happen in secret. This is going to be on television, if we're still broadcasting television at that time. It'll be seen worldwide in time and actual space. There, there is likely a worldwide audience that sees this man suffer, suffer this deadly wound in his apparent return to life. The whole earth marvels at the event and, and, and begins to follow and give their allegiance to this man. They think this is the greatest thing since sewn on shirt pockets. Now, the timing of the supernatural event unites us with Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. This is when Satan is removed from heaven by Michael, the angel Michael, and his angels. I believe the timing here points clearly to Satan immediately taking up residence in the man with the mortal wound. Satan is removed from heaven by Michael and his angels after war broke out in heaven. And as a result of that removal, the spirit of Satan himself must take up residence in a man, in a human being. And this man has received a deadly wound at that time, and he's open to that infilling of the Satan himself. This, my friend, is an incarnation in a man that will reveal the final mystery of the serpent's seed from the garden. Remember God said to, to Satan that he, that Jesus, will bruise your head, ultimately incapacitating the devil for the next 1,000 years. But we still need to settle the riddle here. To do that, we must go to Revelation chapter 17. Now listen to this. The beast that was and is not and yet is. That's a riddle in and of itself, correct? What's the angel telling John here in Revelation 17? But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman. See, the angel of God always, always wants to explain to John these secrets, these mysteries in the book of Revelation. And you know what? He wants to explain it to us too. 
if we'll read and then go on and read the rest of the story, the angel will more than likely give us an interpretation of what John just saw. I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carry her. Now, let me stop here for a moment. The woman, this is the adulteress. These are the the fornicating nations that now filled with rage and and a global breakdown of order proceeding to bow and worship the beast. That's, That's the coming Antichrist. The beast that you saw was and is not is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. This is the same beast that descends into the abyss, suffering the mortal wound, a human man suffering a mortal wound, but ascends to become the beast that was and is not. He was dead, and yet he is. He's been resurrected, and now he is the full incarnation of the Antichrist. Listen to verse 9. This calls for a mind of wisdom. John says that himself, the seven heads in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 17, the seven heads are seven mountains. Now we could say uh, that represents seven empires on which the woman was seated. Verse 10, there are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. Verse 11, as for the beast that was and is not, it's the eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. Okay, let me explain here. At the time John's receiving this vision, he's living in the time of the Roman Empire. The five previous empires have fallen. Let me run them down. The Egyptian, the Assyrian, the Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Greek empires. John is living in the sixth empire, the Roman Empire. The final empire, the one that has not yet come, is part of our mystery, will be the seventh and final empire. Now, I'd strongly suggest this final empire will be an Islamic empire, a caliphate with Sharia law, a a coming seventh empire that will host the Antichrist. Now, we're not going to develop that today, but the the nations involved in this coming Mideast event are today all considered to be Islamic nations. Now, Now, let's once again go back to the riddle. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 17, verse 11. As for the beast that was and is not, the beast, this this man from chapter 13 who received the deadly wound, he is an eighth, but belongs to the seventh. The beast who received the deadly wound, the seventh beast who will lead this coming seventh empire now becomes the eighth beast beast. Now, how does he become the eighth beast if he's the seventh? Here's how. He was healed of the deadly wound. He's now the full incarnation of another, the Satan himself. He's the Antichrist of the final three and a half years, the great tribulation. He's the eighth and he's the final beast. He goes to destruction. He's now embodying the very nature of Satan that was only only partially seen in the former beast kingdoms of the empires. 
from Egypt to Rome, and yet the, the future Seventh Empire, all, every one of them were hostile to Israel. All, historically, would have, would have driven Israel into the sea and thought they performed God a service. So what the angel's showing John here is this emerging final beast, the Antichrist, will all power and signs and lying wonder will be a composite beast of all the former beast kingdoms. One last thing. Let me me give you this one last thing. Remember the 10 kings who joined the beast? We saw that in Revelation chapter 17, verse 12. And the 10 kings are the 10 horns, which you saw, are 10 kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are the 10 Mideast nations that, that partner with the Antichrist in the time of Jacob's trouble during the Great Tribulation. So, church, this is the beginning of the end of the final mystery of those two seeds we talked about back in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This man miraculously risen from the dead who was, is not, and yet is, now endowed with all power and signs and blind wonder, a despicable person in God's eyes who now comes in by intrigue and flattery to obtain the kingdom. The same leader who who rose from the dead by means of an unimaginable demonic miracle has now fulfilled the the words of God in the garden and and the, the revelation of the mystery of iniquity required for the return of the Lord. That mystery must be fulfilled, and it will be at the end of the age. It's called the mystery of iniquity, that great mystery. What a day that will be. Uh, Let me give you one more thing before we wrap up here. Can you even imagine, can you even begin to imagine the power that will come on the church when Satan is cast down and this, this mystery of iniquity is on its way to completion? Then to add to that, the coming of the two witnesses who are receiving their power at just about the same time the church has been suddenly relieved of all accusation of Satan. Catch this. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. I'll give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days. They'll be clothed in sackcloth. Now, that's 42 months. That's three and a half years, time, times, and half a time. That's the great tribulation, the final three and a half years of this age. Now, accompany that With the rejoicing in heaven, we hear about in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. These two things are related. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, this is John. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So what does that all mean? Again, I ask, can you imagine the freedom of the global church that's no longer hindered by the continuous accusations of Satan's lies, all that guilt that's heaped on us by the powers of darkness and the deceptions that he's wielded for eons? While the two witnesses are doing signs and wonders on the streets in Jerusalem in the final three and a half years, I really believe the church has a role to play. The church who knows their God, as Daniel says, a church that's strong 
doing great exploits, will be a global body of understanding, teaching many. Daniel chapter 11, 32 and 33. Check it out. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. That day's coming, Lord. We're excited. We're waiting for it. But there's much to accomplish before that day comes. It'll be a day of rejoicing. Father, do a quick work in you, your church in these days. Will you, will you prepare us for the greatest anointing we will have ever known? Fill us with your Holy Spirit now that we may know and understand the mandate before us and, and prepare our hearts and minds for the day to come. Crowd us, crowd us by your Holy Spirit your godly remnant to a depth of travail and intercession that will soon see this phenomenal fulfillment of prophecy. And we ask it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah. Amen and amen. So much to be excited about here, church. I ask you to subscribe to the podcast, spread the word, Now's the time. This is the season. People inside the church and outside are, are asking a ton of questions these days. Let's help lead them to the Word of God, not to theories, not to presumptions and assumptions by well-meaning people, but let's lead them to the Word of God so they may prepare their families for the age-ending events that lie ahead. God bless. God bless each and every one of you. And Maranatha, I'm Bill Nordstrom.